0: Hello, I'm Jesse Wolves from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church. We're a church seeking to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. Thank you to Life FM for continuing to host us. Today, as we look to God's Word, our reading is Habakkuk 1 through to chapter 2, verse 1. So you can begin looking that up now. This sermon was recorded live at Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church. After reading the passage, we'll hear the children's talk. So if you have children, make sure they're listening. And then we'll go to the sermon. So let's read Habakkuk 1, verse 1, through to chapter 2, verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralysed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men, whose own might is their God. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment. Therefore he sacrifices to his net, and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net, and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watchpost, and station myself on the tower, and look out to see what he will say to me, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And now it's over to the children's talk. Alright guys, we are starting a new series, we're looking at the book of Habakkuk, we're going to be here for three weeks, okay? Three weeks, and Habakkuk has some incredible things to say. Habakkuk is a book different to any other book really, it's very interesting, but Habakkuk has a simple message, okay? Habakkuk tells us... God will make everything wrong, right. Okay? Can you do that with me? We point up, God will make everything wrong, thumbs down, right, thumbs up. Okay? Now, in the first chapter of Habakkuk, Habakkuk is asking God some serious questions because he doesn't understand what's going on. Now there are some questions that are easy to answer and some questions that are hard to answer. So I'm going to ask you a few questions. I'm going to ask you a few questions and we're going to see if you think that they're easy or if they're hard and whether you can give me the answer. Okay, so here are some questions. Imagine I had one apple And someone gave me one more apple. How many apples would I have? Two. Two. That's right. You got it. You got it really easily. And I noticed, now, Beck made these questions for me. She helped me last night. And she's given me the answer. She's written two apples. That's very helpful, just in case I didn't know. Here's another question for you. What colour would I make? If I mixed red and yellow paint? Orange. Orange. Do we think that's right? Yeah. Yes. Yes? Is that an easy question or a hard question? Or somewhere in medium? Somewhere in between? Easy for you, medium for others? Okay. Neil Armstrong was the first man to do what? Walk on the moon. Walk on the moon. Knows what's going on. Did you girls know that? No? No? Oh dear. Oh dear, you'll need to go to school for a bit longer, I think. All right. What is the common name for deoxyribonucleic acid? (laughs) Nucleic acid. Sorry? Just acid. Oh, it's not just acid not nucleated. Would you like to give us the answer? DNA. DNA, that's exactly right. <laughs> well done. I shouldn't have known that. You should have known that. <laughs> Next question, which of the world's oceans is the deepest? An ocean in the world. We've got one vote for Pacific. Indian? We've got an Indian Ocean. Any other takers? Now, Kai's wondering if it's the Atlantic. Well, he should have stuck with Pacific. It is the Pacific Ocean, which is the deepest ocean. Some questions are easy, and some are medium, and some are really hard. And Habakkuk, he didn't have a list of questions like this, He had a different list of questions, and they were really, really, really hard questions. Habakkuk was looking around wondering, God, why aren't you doing anything? Everything's going wrong in this world, in my country. Your people are doing the wrong thing. Why aren't you coming? When will you make wrong right? When will you come to fix it all up? And God gives a surprising answer. God says, I'm going to make everything wrong, right. And I'm going to do it by bringing the Babylonians or the Chaldeans. And do you know, this is not an answer that Habakkuk expected because the Babylonians were even worse than the Israelites So why is God bringing them over to deal with God's people? But God says that he is going to make everything wrong, right. And so Habakkuk has more questions, more and more questions, and he is waiting for God to answer them. But listen, sometimes in life we have these hard questions when it comes to God and to what he's doing And what does Habakkuk do? He asks them. Habakkuk asks God the hard questions and he waits for God to answer. And do you know how God has dealt with evil in the world? For that moment of time, God dealt with the evil in his people by bringing the Chaldeans, or saying that he was going to bring the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. Do you know how God has dealt with the evil in his people today? Forgives them. How? Hmm? By us praying and him forgiving us? Uh, Sure. How does God forgive us? How can God forgive us? That's right. Jesus died on the cross to take our sin away. That is even more surprising than God sending the Chaldeans. That is Hugely surprising, that is shocking, and it is so good for us. Can you remember, Habakkuk teaches us that God will make everything wrong, right. Can you do it with me? You didn't do it with me. Let's go. God will make everything wrong, right. Good, how about we say a prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do make everything wrong right, that you've done that by sending Jesus ultimately, and Jesus will come again. And so we pray that you would forgive us for our sin, that you would cleanse us and make us into the people you would have us to be. Give these kids faith to believe in you and help them to know that they can ask the hard questions and help them to wait for the answers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, why don't we pray again as we come to this part of God's word. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you shine the light where there is darkness. You do not leave us in the dark, but your word has come so that we would know you. So that we would know your ways, your character, what you have planned for our world and for us. And so we ask that your spirit would be giving us wisdom now. We know that these things are spiritually discerned. The natural man cannot understand them. And so please help us to understand with our minds and our hearts. Help us to cling on to you even when we are confused. Bless us, now we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever looked at our culture and wondered, what is going on? Why isn't God doing anything about this? An easy example, our culture is obsessed with sex. Our entertainment is full of sex and nudity, and if they don't show it, They talk about it, making it cheap. And as our culture is saturated with sex, as as the taboos get less and less, we're becoming less and less discreet. Our entertainment, therefore, is becoming more and more graphic. There's no tactful kiss and fade out to the next scene anymore. Even the businesses that we engage with celebrate sexual activities once considered shameful, sinful. And now those companies, councils, countries are quick to fly the rainbow flag, declaring we're part of the revolution, we're allies of the new sexual norms. You won't find any bigots holding on to the old school morality here. And as part of this moral revolution, we've become more violent and abusive. As you know, beck has been in hospital over the last few weeks, meaning that I've been visiting the hospital and, and going to the shops much more regularly than I was before. And I have been amazed, I've seen these before, but I've been amazed at how often I have seen these signs urging people to respect the staff. Once upon a time, that kind of sign wasn't needed. But as our society degenerates, turning away from God and and rejecting his ways, what also happens is we end up losing respect for one another. Suddenly, the people around us aren't beings of great worth who are made in God's image. No, they've become rivals. Impediments to my pleasure and desires. Which is another reason why abortion, the tragic murder of the most helpless of our society, isn't only tolerated, but is declared to be a right. And that right is vigorously protected by our politicians and defended by our media. But the church hasn't been a beacon of morality either. The church has much to be ashamed of. The abuse of children and then the hushing up of it. Relaxing God's law, going along with the world's views on sex, gender and marriage. Abandoning the gospel's call to repentance because well, that would make people feel judged thinking that we know how to love better than God does, and so we better get rid of all of that stuff in the Bible that makes us uncomfortable. And so where's God? Why isn't he doing anything? Why hasn't he come in, stormed our nation, and removed our immoral and idolatrous leaders? Why hasn't he come with a sword against those misleading his people? Pretending that they know Jesus when really they're leading people down the path to hell. Why hasn't he done something? It's confusing. And we're not the first to be confused. Habakkuk is a unique prophet because he doesn't simply... Declare what God is saying to his people. That's what most prophets do. They're there and they give a message to God's people. But instead, Habakkuk, he represents God's people and he approaches God and there's this two way conversation. And as we see uh, the first chapter of this conversation, we're told, wait for God in the confusion of life. Wait for God in the confusion of life, because God will make everything wrong right. Let's listen in on the first stage of the conversation, verses 1 to 4, where Habakkuk complains about God's delayed justice. But before we get to that complaint, just look at verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Now, here's an encouragement for you. When the world feels out of control and God feels distant, look at Habakkuk and remember that these questions are actually legitimate to ask. God invites our questions. See, Habakkuk's questions, everything that's about to follow, are all part of Habakkuk's oracle, they're from God. Not that this was a staged interview where the questions were prearranged. No, these are genuine questions that Habakkuk is asking, and in God's providence, they are recorded for us. And these kinds of questions are asked all throughout the Bible. Jesus himself asked why on the cross. From the historical clues that we get uh, from this book, Habakkuk asked these questions about, about 605 BC, thereabouts. Since Solomon's death, Israel has been divided into two nations, northern Israel and southern Judah. In 722 BC, Assyria had destroyed northern Israel. They had been wicked and full of violence and idolatry. And now, around 100 years later, Habakkuk looked and saw the same things happening in Judah, in southern Judah. And so, won't God do something? What's he going to do? Some people who've left the faith over the last few years have partly blamed the churches they've been involved in. They've, They've produced videos giving their testimony of what they call their deconversion, uh, and they, they talk about what's, what's going on and their history of their, their churches. These churches, they claim, at least, they claim, maybe it's true, maybe it's not, but they claim that these places weren't places where you could ask questions. Everything just had to be accepted. But the Bible, we see here, and in plenty of other places, invites questions. To wrestle. And that's what we want to be doing as a church, isn't it? Asking questions, asking one another questions, and struggling together with God's word to understand. Verse 2 O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Notice who Habakkuk is approaching. He approaches the Lord and that Lord is all capital letters. And remember, when it's all capital letters, this isn't a title. This is a personal name, his personal covenant name. By using this name, Habakkuk is showing that this is a genuine question, a question which has come because he knows God's character. It's a question, it's a problem which is actually sparked by his faith. There are questions which aren't really questions. Questions are sometimes excuses and accusations in disguise. Just think about suffering. An atheist could ask you how a good God could allow evil in the world, suffering and evil. One might be genuinely wanting to know your answer, a real question. Others ask that question as an excuse to not think about God anymore. When you ask those deep, searching, heart-wrenching questions, make sure they're coming from faith. Ask the question and search for the answer. And so what's Habakkuk's complaint? God isn't doing anything about Judah. God hasn't told him why he isn't doing anything And there's another lesson for us. Sometimes answers don't come quickly. Habakkuk has been crying for help, verse 2, for some time. He's looking around at his nation, at the people of God, and he sees iniquity, verse 3, destruction, violence, strife, contention. Verse 4, the law is paralysed. The people aren't obeying it, and those who should be enforcing justice are just part of the problem. Does this sound familiar? Are these your questions as you look at our nation? Hopefully it's not the kind of questions you're asking about our church. But as you look at the state of the church in general, is this the burden of your heart? God, why aren't you doing anything? Why are the wicked getting away with it? And why are your people suffering? When will God make everything wrong right? You might not be a Christian, but still you probably resonate with the confusion, the the heartache of seeing injustice and violence, seeing people on the news getting a shorter sentence for a horrific crime than they should, the pain of the families. Maybe you've been the victim yourself. You cry out for justice and you wonder if there's a God, how could He allow this? But the only reason you can be confused and outraged is because there is a God of justice who has made us in His image to love justice. Unless the Christian God is the real God. Your instincts about right and wrong, justice and justice, compassion and kindness, all those instincts that you have are useless, meaningless, a figment of your imagination. Without Jesus, justice isn't real. It's not an eternal concept. Why long for it? Your questions about justice, your desire for it, It testifies that there is a God. If there was no God of the Bible, the question wouldn't be why there isn't justice. The question would be, why bother with justice at all? Because there's no firm, eternal standard. It's just our opinion. The struggle with justice is only a struggle because there is a God of justice. And because there's a God of justice, we in the church should join Habakkuk in praying over and over again for justice, crying out for it, longing for it. We shouldn't grow cold and calloused to the suffering and the injustice around us. Are we a church who prays? who are so full of faith and longing for God to act and so full of love for sufferers that we ask questions like these. "O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? And are we so full of faith that we're confused and troubled by delayed justice? While Habakkuk was confused, he waited for God. And finally, God answered. In verses 5 to 11, we see shocking justice. Verse 5: Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not have believed if told. Habakkuk's been praying. Desperate for God to answer. And God tells him, lift up your eyes and look around. I am the God of the world. And you haven't noticed, but I've been active. You thought I was silent, but I've been answering your prayers. And it's about to happen and it will blow your mind. Verse 6. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. The Chaldeans, otherwise known as the Babylonians, were coming. They'd defeated the Assyrians and were on the warpath throughout the world. When parents discipline their children... There are standard options. Smacking, sending them to their room, go to bed early, no dinner, no TV, no going to your friend's birthday party. These are evergreen punishments. They're good for almost any situation, any occasion. But some punishments particularly fit the crime. Now, I've never experienced this, but maybe you did. Did your parents ever wash your mouth out with soap because they heard you say something filthy? I wonder if anyone's going to put up their hand for that. Or maybe you've experienced some ironic discipline. You were caught with cigarettes, smoking cigarettes, and your parents made you smoke the whole packet in one sitting, making you sick. That's what God is doing to Judah. Habakkuk complained in verse 4 that there's no justice. Well, verse 7, the Babylonians are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. They're a law unto themselves, in other words. They make it all up for themselves. Judah's full of violence? Verse 9, they all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. In verse 5, the wicked surrounds the righteous, eager to take from them and abuse them. The Babylonians, in verse 10, laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Habakkuk was waiting for God in the confusion of life as he saw injustice. And God surprised him, shocked him with the justice he was bringing. Mr. Beaver told the Pevensey children in the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe that Aslan isn't a tame lion. And the God of Habakkuk isn't tame either. Habakkuk might have been hoping that God would raise up another king like Josiah who would bring reform to the nation, tear down the idols and the altars, bring in justice for the weak But God was bigger than that. He went beyond Habakkuk's expectations. The destroyer of nations was coming. You might be confused by the turmoil of of the world and of our state. You might despair at the faithlessness of so many churches which have turned away from God's word. But God reminds us that he is no small God. He is the God of the nations. We might not understand what's going on, but as nation goes to war against nation, God is in control. As nations fall further into immorality, God is in control. Do you believe that? Do your prayers reflect that? Do you pray about what you see on the news, which is happening in Ukraine and in Canada, and the United States and Nigeria, when laws are passed threatening religious freedom and Catholic hospitals are, are taken over by the government and, and parents can't talk to their children about certain topics without wondering if they will be fined, do you remember that God is in control? When your family rejects you, because you cling to Jesus and his ways, do you pray that God's spirit would remind you of this simple but radically comforting truth that God is in control? In control of the nations and their armies, even as they're unaware that they are marching to the beat of his drum. Do you remember that God will make everything wrong, right. But God's control over the nations and his plan to bring the Chaldeans as judgment hasn't solved Habakkuk's problem. It's created a new one. He has waited for God in the confusion of life and now we see in verses 12 to 17 that he's more than Confused, sorry, he's, he's, he's even more confused. This isn't just shocking justice, this is confusing justice. You could summarise this section, these verses as, God, what are you doing? And what does he do with his confusion? First, he rehearses what he knows about God already. He grounds himself in God's character and attributes. Verse 12. Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One. What's he saying about God? That he's eternal. He's the the covenant God. There's that all capital Lord again. He's holy And he's Habakkuk's God. Habakkuk hasn't abandoned God because of his confusion. And each of these characteristics play together. He is eternal, which means he's not a God who became holy or who could lose his holiness. He has always been perfectly morally pure. Which means that when he makes a covenant, nothing will stop him from keeping his covenant promises. And if this is the kind of God he is, how could you even think about abandoning him? No, in the face of this God, Habakkuk calls him my God, my holy one. Which is why he can say, even in his confusion, because he knows all this about God, he can say, we will not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. The Chaldeans are coming, and they will cause death and destruction, but the nation will survive. Judah won't be like northern Israel, destroyed by the Assyrians and becoming the the half-caste Samaritans. Judah will endure. The people of God will endure because God made a covenant to Abraham. But his faith is what makes him confused. Verse 13. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong... Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? In other words, they're worse than us. How can you send them to destroy us? One of the commentaries I read during the week got at the heart of this issue. Just imagine... We as a church, we're praying that God would bring justice to our nations. He would establish justice. Get rid of the bad guys and bring in the good guys. And imagine if in response to our prayers about that injustice and immorality of Australia, God decided to answer our prayers by raising up North Korea or Iran to be the great world superpower. And they came and they conquered. What if he raised up a network of terrorists to conquer Australia? See, that's not what we're wanting or what we're hoping for. But that is entirely possible because God isn't a tame God. See, most of us have a tame God. We imagine that God wouldn't dream of doing this or doing that, Some people even try to protect God, protect his honour in a way, by imagining that he has nothing to do with the tragedies of life. They imagine that God's not really in control. God hasn't brought it when bad things happen, but maybe he will be able to make good things come out of it if we let him. What does God say? He raised up the Chaldeans, and he orchestrates the tragedies, the hardships in our life, and we don't know why. We're confused. But like Habakkuk, we can cling to God. We can ask the questions and we can cling to God, to his eternal, holy, loving nature. We can remember that he will never stop loving us because he never started loving us because his love is everlasting with no beginning and no end, just like him. We might not have the answers to our questions, but we cling with all we are to his goodness. And we can rejoice, because we remember that we deserved, we deserved exactly the same treatment as Judah. God looked out on the world, just as Habakkuk looked out on Judah, and God saw us, and he saw sin. We were God-haters, murdering with our thoughts, our words, our actions. Like Judah, we deserved judgment. And God would have been right to bring ISIS or Al-Qaeda to destroy not only Australia, but us personally. See, Habakkuk was surprised that God was sending the Chaldeans. He got up on the watchtower. Chapter 2, verse 1, either either literally or metaphorically, waiting for God to answer his question, how could you do that? But what should surprise us is that he didn't send Al-Qaeda. He sent Jesus. Jesus took the punishment for the sin of his people. Jesus suffered judgment so that we wouldn't. As we see God's shocking and confusing justice in Habakkuk, we should be even more amazed at his justice in sending Jesus. Even as we wait for God in the confusion of life, wondering why God isn't doing something, anything, we should rejoice that he has done something at the cross. If you've trusted in Jesus, you've been saved. God has made everything wrong, right. And so we wait for him to finish the work. Like Habakkuk, wait for God in the confusion of life. Jesus has come, taking the just punishment on himself for our sin. And he will come again to bring justice on all those who have refused him, clinging to their own injustices. He will make everything wrong right. And so wait for God in the confusion of life. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, you are amazing, you are incredible. You are awe-inspiring, that you would do this, that you would answer your children when they call in confusion. Lord, though sometimes it seems as though it takes you a long time to answer us, we do receive answers, whether it be in this life or the next. And Lord, we rejoice that we can know that you are perfectly just that you will bring justice and you have brought justice. May we cling to this truth. May we cling to your character. May we delight in who you are, even as we are confused, even as we don't understand. Lord, for those who do not know you, but who are longing for justice, may they remember that only in Jesus can that justice be found. And may they realise that by longing for justice, they are actually longing for justice to come against them. And so may they find hope and forgiveness through Christ our Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church, and I pray you've been blessed as you've spent this time in God's word. Next week, we'd love to have you join us in person for our service at 10am. I hope to see you there. And as always, if you'd like to make a comment on what you've heard today, you have a question, or you're looking for a church, then please get in contact with us. Our website is eaglehawkpc.org.au. You can also contact us through Facebook or Instagram. God bless you.